such a good job singing. It's uh, just great to listen to the congregation and the joy that comes out in praising the Savior as the psalmist wrote and told us to do. And just the ringing through of our historical reading and the confession and pardon certainly are thankful for the church. While I'm talking here, take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 12. We'll look at Acts chapter 12 today. So while you're moving there, for those of you that have reached it, we have a sticker, a Christ Community Church sticker. And uh, they are free to you um, at the coffee table in the foyer. So we have a, we have a lot of them. Uh, take as many as you will use. All right? So just, uh, I, I have one on the back of my truck. It's crazy how many times I've already talked to people who have asked me about where that is and all that kind of thing, so little easy self-promotion of our church. Appreciate uh, Mike Thomas who put that together. And um, so many of you already have them. They're, they are at the coffee table. And again, take as many as you'd like to take. This morning, we'll look at Acts chapter 12. Scripture, inspired by God, says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping, two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone into the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the, into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel, and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, 
the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued to knock, and when they had opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and he spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god, and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms, and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Let us bow our heads as we worship our King. Father God, we're thankful to be here this day, the Lord's day, because Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the church. He's the creator of the world. He is the master of the universe. And we pray this morning that we will see the beauty of Jesus. And then when we leave this place, we will live this week for the glory of God alone. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Life can come at you really fast. This coming week would mark for Val and I basically a three-week span in 1995, so from like February 7th to February 26th, which would be a Sunday, the 26th, the first day that I stepped into our church, Val and I experienced really the most intense three weeks of our lives. 
felt like, to be honest with you, things were, were out of control. Um, so many different details, and our world literally got flipped upside down. Some things that were bad, re really bad, and some things that were great, really great. The emotions swerved every day. It was for us, as I mentioned, we, it felt like our whole world got turned upside down. Our lives, our home, our work, and our church. And, and I want to share this at the beginning. Um, you know, that's, that's really a good feel, I think, of the book of Acts in general. Um, three things. It was, a, it was a disposition that we had, and, and Val and I had, and, and it derived from the goodness and the grace of God that helped us get through that season and every other season that we've experienced in life. And, you know, for some of you that are sitting in here this morning, life's coming at you fast. And, and some of it is very burdensome. It's very difficult. And, um, you know, it could, it could be a, a terminal illness. It could be a job loss. It could be financial trouble. It could be any form of, of, of sickness or a career change, a loss of job, death, all of these things. I mean, life just doesn't stop for any of us um, as much as we would like it to. And that was really what was going on. And again, I want to give you this real quick at the, before we dive into the text. There's three things I want to share with you. And I share them with you because they're true. That is, they're derived from the scripture. And God had taught our home it. And through these tumultuous times, they saw us through to the other end. The first one is that God has a sovereign plan for you, church. He has a sovereign plan for you. And uh, that, plan, that plan is not explained like the world explains it. The sovereign plan um, moves from the moment you take Jesus by faith to the day you're glorified. So God's purposes and plans for your life uh, derive not from making you rich necessarily, um, but it's really more focused on eternal things. And, and we knew that. That was embedded and resonated in our souls that God had a, a sovereign plan for our lives. Secondly, we knew that we were living in God's presence. Um, not only does the Holy Spirit and Jesus reside, but Jesus, when he gives his um, great commission, he tells the disciples, and this is going to be the thing that they stick to, because most of those guys are going to get martyred, killed. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so we knew that those two things were true. 
And as our world was getting turned upside down, and, and we didn't think it was going the direction that we thought it was going to, we held onto those things because we knew they were true in God's relationship to his people. God had a sovereign plan over our lives, and he was flipping the direction, and God's presence was with us along with, at that time, an 18-year-old baby boy and another one coming pretty soon. The last thing, and I think this is just as important, I think all these three work together. It derives from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God works all things, all things in your life, God is working for your good. All things. And, and we knew, and that's where we found our comfort, when we didn't have answers. We were resting in the truths of the gospel, and those things that were taking place in our life were taking place because God was shaping us for whatever reason, and he was at work for our good because you and I serve a good God. He's a good God. Acts chapter 12 is like this this big meanwhile, right? Meanwhile, this is what's going on. That's, that's, that's the transition of Acts chapter 12. And, and you remember back to Acts chapter 11, there's no s- small stir going on because Peter had gone into Cornelius' home and, and God had saved Cornelius and his family, a marking of the Gentile people, and it had caused a stir. If you could picture this, the Jerusalem church was, was Jewish, but, and there were people that were genuinely converted, but and there were a lot of people that were converted that also had family that stayed a part of the Judaizers who hated Jesus. And now Peter is going to have to go back and somewhat give an account, and this is surfacing about, and of course, uh, we're going to see the culmination, as I mentioned to you next week, to Acts chapter 15, when the first controversy uh, comes up for the church. And so, while Peter goes back to Jerusalem, right, and he's there, Paul, or Saul at the time, he's, Saul is Paul, um, and, and that name transitions happens here in chapter 12 and 13. Um, him and Barnabas, they're in Antioch, which is largely, as I mentioned last week, it's a sophisticated city. It is a large city, and it's a gateway into Asia Minor. And they're there Uh, preaching the gospel in the church at Antioch, and they're establishing that church, and they're there for about a year. So if we could look at this this morning, here's how you want to think about Acts chapter 12. It's a tale of two kingdoms. And, you know, that's a composite of the larger story of the Bible, which goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. 15, you're either of the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent. 
And for all who sat here right now, each of us, we're all a part of one kingdom or the other. We belong to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. Acts chapter 12 begins again with this meanwhile, this fast-paced thing that Peter's gone back to Jerusalem. And as we look at the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us that James, who is the brother of John, both the sons of Zebedee, their nickname is the sons of thunder, he is killed by Herod. And this Herod, Herod is, is a family name. And so Herod was like a tetrarch of one of the provinces in the Roman Empire. There was four of those. And, and so there's a, a Herod-type dynasty that's passed on. This Herod would be the grandson of the Herod that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 who beheads John the Baptist when John the Baptist convert or confronts him uh, in his sin. And of course, the Bible tells us here, you know, these, these Herods must have had a thing for chopping people's heads off because it says in verse 2, he kills James, the brother of John, with a sword. He chops his head off. Um, tradition itself tells us that as James was bound to a soldier, the soldier was so impressed by James and the words, the words of the gospel and his love for Christ, that that guard became converted to Jesus before he was beheaded. Now, when you think of James and John, you, you read through the Gospels and, you know, we know that there's 12, but there's also a grouping often in, you know, of these three. There's James and John and Peter. And, and they are kind of become the focal point. They become the lead here. And, and so the move that Herod makes here, uh, think of a tetrarch, it's like a governor, okay, like a governor of a state. Um, Herod makes a deal with the Jews. So this is really a political move on Herod's part. Um, they know that the Jews are, have this little uprising, and he's trying to pinpoint, okay, what's the problem he really has nothing to do with the occasion. He says, okay, I'm going to get the leader of this, this revolution that's going on. The leader was pinpointed as James of the brother of John in the church of Jerusalem, the apostle. And so he captures him and he has him beheaded. And he has Peter beheaded. And in the providential sovereign plan of God, the Jews say, don't kill him yet. We are in Passover, or the season of unleavened bread. Just feels weird. You can't kill him now because we're, we're celebrating a religious service. But when this season gets over with, you can go ahead and chop his head off too. Peter, though, as we see here, is miraculously delivered. The church prays. He, the church is, as it was early on meeting, it would meet in homes. Homes, 
predominantly would be from rich people because it would, the larger homes, more people could come to, to be a part of the, the worship. And this, this Mary is, is John Mark. So, you know, you know this. When you're reading the, uh, the Gospels, there's a lot of James, there's a lot of Marys, there's a lot of Johns. Just to serve this up for you, um, by um, Herbert Lockyer's book, uh, he does a great job of all the men and women in the Bible, all the apostles, and traces history. Um, we're not going to go into a lot of it, but just to, just to let you know, this, this kind of, uh, as he's imprisoned there, and he's in John Mark's home. John Mark will end this chapter uh, in verse 25. John Mark becomes Peter's kind of teammate, and John Mark writes the Gospel of Mark. We're going to visit John Mark later in the book of Acts. Here's what is spectacular to the nature of this um, uh, Peter getting delivered. So Peter would have been, like in this setting, there were four watches during the night of guards. So, so typically through the night, there would have been 16 soldiers. Peter was chained to two soldiers in the prison. So there was a, obviously he had to get through that. Then past that, there was another gate where two soldiers were. Hence, on each of these watches, there were four soldiers. And then to get past that, there was the the outer gate to, to get out of the city. And Peter is so stunned in what's taking place, he thinks he's in a vision. And of course, he's delivered, and the church is back here in Mary's house, and they're praying. And, and uh, I believe it's Rhoda gets so stunned, she hears Peter's voice. Now, they've been praying that God would deliver Peter, but she runs and doesn't even, open the, doesn't even open the door for him. And Peter's still out the door and he's knocking to try to get in. And of course, Peter comes in and the church rejoices. And then Peter ends this, this pericope here in Acts chapter 12 that, that they're to go and to report this to another James who is a prominent leader in the early church. And that James is Jesus' half-brother who writes the epistle of James. Um, and we'll see more about him in Acts chapter 15. That would have been, of course, the Lord's half-brother. But he holds a significant role in the church. The kingdom of God is pressing forward into the world through all this chaos. And the Bible tells us in verse 24 that through all of this quote-unquote, good times and bad. The word of God is increasing and multiplying. That is, the gospel is going out and more people are becoming converted to Jesus. When we think of whether we belong to the kingdom of God, there's also another kingdom. It's a kingdom you and I were born in. It's a kingdom that maybe some of you only belong to. It's the kingdom of the world. Herod let's be clear, is a wicked, evil-hearted man whose end, look at verse 23, 
in the display of his life, his end is he gets eaten by worms as he breathes his last breath. So when Herod catches wind that Peter has escaped, he moves on down to Tyre and Sidon. He's an angry dude. That's what verse 20 tells us. Um, but before he leaves, he has those guards killed. We'll see this again in Acts chapter 16 with a Philippian uh, jailer. That was the result. It was called, I believe, the Justonian Code, which here is what they would do if a prisoner escaped. They would first of all beat the guards half to death, and then they did one of two things, crucify him, or they would behead him with a sword. I don't think that job pays enough. <laughs> you want to be a guard. You want to be a prison guard. Uh, I'll pass on that. But that's what Herod, this evil guy, does. You know, when we think of human depravity, and we think of sinfulness, when you hear that word human depravity, for, for some of you, you think of human depravity as like Hitler or some evil guy like this, um, Herod, who did these things and undoubtedly a number of other atrocities. And, but really, human depravity is that we're all fallen in sin. Human depravity may mean you may not be as quote-unquote bad as like Hitler or Herod, but you are born in sin and your heart is evil as mine is, being born in sin, and sin corrupts every part of our being. There's nothing that's a part of your being that isn't affected by sin. We are born in sin, and being born in sin, Psalm 51, 5 and 58, 3, in sin did my mother conceive me. This is at conception. We are technically guilty of sin. But until you, until I, as a person, believes that we are guilty and in sin, you will never trust in Jesus. Now remember when the gospel began to explode in my mind, I would read Romans chapter 3. And actually, if you read like Romans 1.18 or 1.16 through like 3.23, you get this depth of the doctrine of sin. And I remember being raised in church and, and being in Bible class and read about those things and thinking, wow, those are some bad people. I was reading about myself. You're Herod, and so am I, to a God that's holy. Until you believe that you are truly a sinner and that you lack and possess no righteousness before a holy God, you're never going to trust in Jesus. 
God's impressed by none of us. Please remember this. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. So God doesn't look down and say, Wow, Kev, you came from a good bloodline. Wow, Kev, you possess a certain amount of intellect. Wow, Kev, if I save you, you're going to be really useful of your own right for me down the road. No. I'm Herod. <coughs> Here's what we know, <coughs> what the Bible tells us. <coughs> there we go. <coughs> Would you grab me a water? Can you believe that? I think I'm waxing eloquent and I lose my voice. Herod goes to Tyre and Sidon. And it's clear from this text, Herod's an angry guy, he's an, he's an arrogant guy, and he's a guy that refuses God. And man, those are the summations of all people that are lost. Esau is angry. He refuses the promise of God. And in his bitterness, he cast it away. That's what verse 20 tells us. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Of course he is. Because he's a jerk. He's just an angry, rejecting... Thanks, Steve. You know, he's an angry, rejecting guy. And... Um, his arrogance comes out because he robes himself. And of course, these people of Tyre and Sidon want to be on his good side. So, you know, they're, 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 they're falsely declaring him the voice of a God because they need food that he provides. And uh, he is filled with his arrogance. And does he give God the glory? No. The Bible tells us in verse 23, he doesn't give God the glory. So God strikes him down and kills him. And please listen to me. If you are sitting here in rejection of Jesus, in your anger, in your arrogance, in your refusing God, destruction is your end. There's no happy way out of this. There's no gripping right now. And then if I get out these doors and you can just not think about the gospel, I'm telling you, you've got to come to grips with what you are if we are going to see the beauty of what Jesus is. You're Herod. And so am I. You need the knowledge of the gospel that God is holy, that you, in fact, are a sinner. You, you must know those things are true. And, and those are things that have been shared by Pastor Bobby. They go on in our Bible class. They go on the pulpit every week. You may be raised in Christianity. And to know those things are true, that God is holy, that, that you, in fact, are a sinner, you might identify with that, but you've refused Christ. And so here's what the gospel does every week. And this is why people don't stay with us long if, if they don't know Jesus. They're either going to come to Jesus or they're going to get the heck out of here because it's too uncomfortable. Who wants to sit here and say, 
He just said, I'm a wicked, evil murderer. Yeah, and so am I. That's what we are. Romans chapter 3 tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. And until someone comes to grips with the knowledge of their sin, there is no turning towards Jesus because there's no need. That's why it means salvation. That's why it means to be saved. God is rescuing you from yourself as he is me. And the gospel puts us in this crux because you can know these things to be true. You can assent that the, what the Bible says about them, that God is holy is, and that you're a sinner and that Jesus is even the way is true, but it's the gospel crux of I must trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sin in order to be born into the family of God and identify with the people of God. And what stands between that is your own pride. Pride's the root of every sin. Even as I mention these truths about the gospel, all of us sit here, as I said from the beginning, and we belong to one kingdom or the other, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the world. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit himself has narrowed that down for you just in the 30 minutes that I've just said those things. My question is, what kingdom do you belong to? What kingdom do you belong to? Augustine said this, God would never permit evil if he could not bring good out of evil. Augustine said that. And as we go back to the story that is told here of this account in Acts chapter 12, it shows us two outcomes even in the kingdom of God and both glorified God. God was glorified when James was beheaded. Do we not think that the church wasn't praying for James to be delivered? I know it's not in the text, but the church prayed. The church were prayer warriors. That's what they did. They were praying for the boldness of the gospel to penetrate the world. And in God's sovereign plan, James, the leader of the first church in Jerusalem, was beheaded. And Peter was miraculously saved. And I don't want you to miss this. Because salvation isn't your best life now, necessarily. Was it for the prophets? Was it for the apostles? Was it for Christians this morning in Afghanistan? In Iran? In China? Where through these persecutions in type that we're seeing at the Church of Jerusalem, God's converting people everywhere. Glory to God. But the church prayed. Here's what I want you to understand about prayer. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Sometimes God answers no. 
to his glory. And when he does, he never will leave you in his presence. Never. It's his providential, loving care that will surround your life to the day he takes you home. Sometimes God says no. All things work together for good. Now last week we, we talked about this. The means of grace come from the church gathered under the word of God. The church under the means of grace in the sacraments, in the waters of baptism, and in the wine, and in the bread. And now we're going to kind of focus a little bit about prayer, because the early church prayed. And I don't want any of us to be intimidated by it, because prayer is simply talking with God. But prayer is a spiritual grace that God gives you when he saves you. It is it's a spiritual grace. It's a part of that union with God. When I, when I mentioned a few weeks ago where we're baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, I have this relationship. And so all believers pray, right? And, and prayer doesn't mean, and there's a lot of ways it's demonstrated. Bob, you don't have to just like be on your knees or bow your head or even have your eyes closed. People pray in all sorts of positions in the Bible. But but what is prayer for us, and, and how do we pray? Well, I want to give you a few things about that as we wrap this up. God commands us to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. It means there, it says to pray without ceasing. So that union that I described, and you know what it is, because sometimes you're just praying and you just... While you're driving to work, right? Don't close your eyes, right? Let's gotta be, we've got to be careful. <laughs> I'm serious. Leave them open. Stay on the road. But you are, you are in communion with God. You are praying without ceasing. So, you know, it's almost like repentance and commanding our, our American cuss words. But they're really benefits. When, 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 I, when I'm under obedience to God's command, God is, he doesn't love me more, but I'm manifesting that I'm growing as not just a baby, but maturing in Christ. God commands us to pray, and he loves to hear the praises of his people. Prayer is a part of God's sovereign plan for your life. But secondly to this, prayer benefits you. Prayer benefits me. But this is how it's to benefit us. It's to align our hearts and to shape our lives to the will of God. Not gimme, gimme, jimmy all the time. Prayer benefits me. In that three-week span in, in our lives, just such crazy twist. I remember just asking the Lord, hey, keep me obedient. 
And Lord, hang on to me. I feel like I've lost it. I don't know any man that's not worth his salt that doesn't want to control his circumstance. But sometimes trying to control your circumstance gets in the way out of your own pride. And God's going to put you in a place because this pleases him most. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He wants us totally dependent on him. People hear the word sovereignty, and even sovereignty and salvation means we don't do anything. That's a lie. God has a sovereign plan. God is saving people. And so because God is saving people, I want to tell people about Jesus. God is, God is doing things in my life and in my world as he is your, as a, as a member of the family of God. Prayer benefits you when you pray because it will align your heart and shape your life when we pray according to the Spirit, which means to pray according to the will of God. That's prayer. Thirdly, this, God commands us to pray. Prayer benefits us. Oh, this is a good one. Thirdly, God promises to hear us. That's that beautiful, good God we have. Proverbs 15, 29. He hears the prayers of the righteous. Psalm 119 says, If an individual regards iniquity in his heart, he will not hear them. Now, God's omnipresent. God's omniscient. Does it mean he physically can't hear it? No. It just means he won't regard it. If you live in denial of him, listen to me. You that are rejecting Jesus, you're on your own. Please take Jesus even now. For the church, God promises to answer. But let's all get this. Sometimes God's going to answer yes. And sometimes God's going to answer no. And in both cases... They will be for your good. So when your flesh begins to well up and you begin to get angry towards God, oh, whoa, whoa, check yourself. But know this assuredly, God promises to answer and to shape our hearts. His desire is that we would pray according to his will according to his will now in all of those things as we begin to move on with this God tells us to pray in thankfulness every time we pray the disposition of our hearts and our minds are to be thank you Lord I belong to you. You have a sovereign plan for my life. Your presence is always with me. You hear my prayers. And you're at work for everything that's good, even when I don't necessarily see it. Pray with a thankful heart. God has saved you for eternity. Are you kidding me? Pray with a let pray with a thankful heart. Martin Luther, he gives some suggestions on how to pray. 
Pray the Ten Commandments. Pray the Lord's Prayer that uh, Pastor Andrew mentioned. Pray the Apostles' Creed. Those were some of his suggestions. There have been others. All of you that are attending or have attended Southern Seminary, they pray the Psalms. They have a class at Ambassadors. Me, Alex, and John prayed the Psalms. But also other scripture. Pray the scripture. Why? Because you want to align your, your heart and mind to the will of God and be careful of what you think you desire. <laughs> when you use these method, methods in whatever format you choose to pray in thankfulness, let me give you an, another one. To think to do this every day this week. Okay, every time you pray, adore God. I adore my family. God adores me a million times more. God adores you. His presence is with you. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you, ever. The strength of the power of the gospel and who he is is going to bring you to himself. Literally, it says in the book of Psalm, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saint. It was precious to God when James was beheaded. Why? Because that day and moment was not going to be altered according to God's sovereign plan and he was going to bring him to himself. And I know some of that's scaring the daylights out of you, but until you turn loose of your life, hmm, adore God. Yeah. Some of you men I've been out with kind of asked me like a key. I want to just tell the church out loud. So, one of the things that I tried to assimilate in my life, I started using Jesus' name more. Just in casual conversation. And you know, a lot of people have conversations about God. Not too many people want to talk about Jesus. But what it did for me, I'm just telling you what it did for me, it, it began to nurture in my heart to adore him. And however feebly I could muster how I adore him, it pales in significance how I have felt, even in some times of those three weeks, his powerful arms take me to his bosom and hold me and just said, hang on. Adore God. Adore the beauty of Jesus Rest in the gospel, and then the confession of your sin becomes easier. You, you know what I've noticed? When you get closer to, to Christ and to God, it, 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 it forges out a confession of sin. We've been indicted before. You guys, you guys are way too serious. You talk about sin too much. Man, are you kidding me? <laughs> we, we want deliverance. We want deliverance. 
And the only thing that delivers is Jesus. And so, yes, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. Adore God. Confess your sin. Saturate those things in thanks. This is where God gives in prayer a means of grace to build your life. People say, you know, this is American Christianity. I don't need the church. I just need to read my Bible. Oh, well, 5% of the world could read. What were they doing? The means of grace that will build your life is to become under the word of God, to give yourself to the sacraments in baptism and the Eucharist, and to pray. Now listen, for all of you that are just gnarling to get up here and start fighting with me, yes, you read your Bible. I'm telling you, it is secondary to those things. So what kingdom do you belong to? And if you don't belong to Jesus, man, in your inner man, in your, in your soul, it resonates there. Cry out to God. And he'll save you if you'll come to God on his terms. And the truth is, you that are belong to the kingdom of the world and you want to get out of this place, where's your life headed? You're headed to where Herod is. Please take Jesus by faith. Let's pray. Father, now as we come to this, the end of a, another worship service, we're so thankful for your sustaining grace. Boy, where people hate your sovereignty, God, we the church find your strength and your protection. Because no matter what we come against in this life, whether it's to live now, you'll never leave us or forsake us, or, or whether we're to die, we're to go to immediately in your presence with the church triumphant. But Lord, while we are the church militant still on the earth, I pray for your people this morning that they would engage the battle that they would not live for the kingdom of the world. And for those, Lord, who in their pride have yet to trust you, may your kindness, your loving, tender kindness, lead them to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus. Help them, God, to let loose of their life and take Jesus by faith. We pray and ask for these things in the name of your dear Son, our Savior Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.